0: We got to celebrate you and learn about you and uh, and have VBS here at the church, Lord. Um, we thank you for those here with us this morning. We pray that you be with Ben as he brings us your word and, and continues to walk us through Genesis and, and your story, Lord. We pray that we can uh, leave this place uh, renewed and refreshed and... Uh, um, ready to serve you and ready to to spread your word and spread your light to those around us Lord we thank you for our community we pray that we can be lights to the community and that we can um, that we can spread Jesus um, and that we can uh, that we can just continue to serve you it's in your holy name we pray amen If it makes you feel better, I had a memory come up on Facebook this morning that said last year at this time we were in Genesis 11. So uh, we have made a lot of progress. We have trucked through. There's the Tower of Babel, if you remember that one. If not, we can go back and redo it if you want. Uh, But we're trucking through and, and, and getting through the end of Genesis here, which is a lot of Joseph's life and Joseph's story. Um, Up to this point in Genesis, so much of Joseph's life has kind of revolved around these dreams that he's been having. Um, And it starts with Joseph's own dreams where he dreams there are these stalks of wheat that are are bowing down to him. And then there's another dream where it's the sun, the moon, and 11 stars that are bowing down to him. Everybody in his family understands what this means. It means that his family, everybody's going to be worshiping or bowing down to Joseph at some point. And since he's the youngest or one of the youngest of 11 brothers, it doesn't sit well with them. He's also loved and doted upon by his father. He's his father's favorite son. And so all of those things kind of compile together in Joseph's life that his brothers have this jealous hatred of him. And so they throw him into a pit, which is what much of Joseph's life, how he describes it. Throughout his story, even when he gets out of the literal pit and is sold into slavery, he, he describes his life as he's still in this pit. If you remember after the dreams he interpreted last week that we looked at with the cupbearer and the baker, where he is, uh, he's with Potiphar's wife, right? Potiphar's wife lies, sends him to prison, he's down at the bottom of prison, then he becomes like the warden-esque kind of thing. He's a prisoner, but he's also over some, it's kind of a weird Situation, and so he's there, and there's these two officials from Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker, who have these dreams, but there's nobody to interpret the dreams, and so they're panicked and worried, and so he interprets the dreams for them, and he does. It's a little bit of sarcasm on Joseph's part, I think, because he says, "For the cupbearer, the Lord is going to lift up your head. Pharaoh's going to lift up your head. You're going to be right. Everybody bows down when a Pharaoh walks by, but if he lifts your head up, then that means you've been honored." And then for the the chief baker, he says, and your head's going to get lifted too, but from you, which is very different than just being like he, he will be beheaded and killed, and that's exactly what ends up happening. And Joseph describes that event when he talks to the chief cupbearer. He says, remember me because I was sold into this pit. And we'll see this again, that much of Joseph's life is this idea of trying to get out of this pit that he has been placed in. And so we're going to read and go through all of, of chapter 41. There's a lot here, and so it's going to feel pretty fast, but I wanted to cover all of this section in one because there's some neat things that happen in this chapter. So let's pray, and then we will dive in. God, I thank you for today, and I thank you that we do get to gather together. God, I thank you for all the this week. God, it's, it was tiring um, with the decorations and the... Uh, crafts and the recreation and the snacks and teaching the Bible studies and having kids here all week long and, and, and Lord we're, we're grateful that you did that grateful that we got to minister to many many kids many of which who do not know you Got to pray that you would continue to use our church in the community those ways and that you would use us this morning as you speak to us through your word hit our hearts where we need to be hit Lord Encourage us, convict us, grow us in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And, he, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Then he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ears, and Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant, he put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, and we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation, and a young Hebrew was there with a servant of the captain of the guard, and when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream, and as he interpreted us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Let's pause there. Pharaoh could not believe his dream. You could say he was in denial. Okay. Two years, the text tells us. Two years, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. And that is just phenomenal to think about. Your life is at the very bottom that it could be, right? He was with the chief baker. The chief baker is beheaded, and he is restored to his position. You would think he would remember Joseph, but two years he has forgotten him. And imagine the emotions Joseph has to go through, frustration, and then anger, and then resentment, and then finally just acknowledging this is what life is, It would be so easy for him to feel like, maybe God has forgotten me. It would be so easy for Joseph to get bitter, to get angry, and to get cold. Yet by all indications, Joseph does none of that. He keeps his faith in the Lord. He handles the disappointment with dignity, trusting in God, and he continues to serve. He continues to minister where the Lord has placed him at. And then all of a sudden, like, and it just jumps on, like, we hadn't talked about Pharaoh a lot. He, he's kind of been in the background. And then all of a sudden, boom, we get two dreams that Pharaoh has. Now, remember, for, for Egypt, dreams were not like our modern understanding of dreams, we think they're like that your subconscious or your conscience telling you things. Like, I read one deal that said if you dream of like your teeth breaking or your teeth falling out, it's you subconsciously worrying about getting old and aging. Um, and so. I don't know, maybe that's you, (laughs) I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me, I think there's other things with it, but what the Egyptians believed about dreams is that there was a God, lowercase g, or gods that were trying to communicate with you, and so they were telling you things that would happen in the future, or things that would guide you, but the way that these would come is they would come off like dreams we've read about, where they're not straight, clear, straightforward things. You need somebody to interpret these dreams and to interpret them correctly. But now we have Pharaoh having dreams, and Pharaoh believed that he was a god. He believed they were God in the flesh. That's why they're giant statues of, and you'd pray. I mean, it was all the ancestral stuff going on. So that Pharaoh has these dreams is interesting to us. And the dreams are very interesting. Pharaoh is at the Nile River. The Nile is the source of life for Egypt. It provided water. It would flood and provide nutrients every year. This is why Egypt is one of the few nations that stayed a solid nation for as long as it has. They're still in Egypt today. And so it makes sense then that seven fat, healthy, good-looking cows come out of the Nile. They're eating reed grass, which means there's plenty of vegetation around for them, and they continue to eat, they continue to grow plump and to look as good as a cow can look. And then all of a sudden, seven other cows come out, and they do not look good. They are weak and thin, sickly-looking cows. And they eat the healthy cows, and they do not gain any weight. And I just think it's funny that this causes Pharaoh to wake up in a panic. I don't have dreams. I mean, when I do have dreams they're not like cows is was not, I'm not gonna wake up. <gasps> oh, it's just a dream. But he drifts back to sleep. Second dream, very similar. Seven ears of grain, uh, plump on one stalk. And then uh, that's a really good stalk, right? If you have one stalk and there's seven heads on it that are all really huge, you're looking at a very prosperous crop if you have a whole field of those. And then you have seven ears blighted. Uh, It says there's an east wind. The east of Egypt would be the desert. So you have this scorching heat that blows through and just kills their harvest. It sounds familiar. And then those weak, sickly stocks eat the seven good stocks. And Pharaoh wakes up again and he realizes it's a dream, which again is just an odd thing to, in my mind, it's an odd nightmare to have. So in the morning, Pharaoh gathers... Everybody that he can to help him interpret these dreams. He's got to have all of these people seated around him because if, if the gods are telling Pharaoh something with a the dream, then it's not just for Pharaoh, it's for the whole nation. And so the text tells us there's magicians in Egypt, there's wise men in Egypt, and Pharaoh tells him his dream, and not a one of them can interpret it for him. None. In his mind, one of the gods, one of his ancestors, he views himself as a god, was trying to communicate with him, and he could not understand what they were saying because there's nobody in this massive kingdom of Egypt that was able to interpret this message that he had. And then it's at this moment that the Lord jogs the memory of the cupbearer. He's like, man, there's, this dream interpretation is reminding me of something. It's deja vu. I can't think of what's going on. Oh, yeah. I had a dream that I couldn't remember. And there's this Hebrew. It's been like two years. Maybe he's still there in prison that can interpret dreams. He interpreted mine and it came true. And he interpreted the baker's and it came true. And so the cupbearer tells Pharaoh this. Look what happens in verse 14. So then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly found him and brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. And I have heard that it's said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven plump cows, attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in the land of Egypt. The thin and ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. And I also saw in my dream seven ears on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered and thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the good ears. I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Let's just think about Joseph for a minute. Sitting in prison, two years have gone by he has no idea what's taking place in Pharaoh's house he's just going through the day to day things that he does as this prison guard warden prisoner but he's still in the pit he calls it a pit again it's this idea that ever since his brothers threw him into jail Joseph's whole life has been a pit he can't get out of the hole freedom has eluded him And at some point, Joseph must have just given in, like, this is what life is going to be, and so I'm just going to make the best of it. The cupbearer has forgotten about me. I know that God hasn't forgotten about me, and so he has a plan, a purpose for my life, and that plan and that purpose is for me to be in prison, to be a faithful prisoner. Like the prospect of the cupbearer remembering him is gone until it isn't. Can you imagine like somebody running in and telling Joseph, hey, the cutbearer finally remembered you, but you look gross. Go shave, go shower, go put new clothes on. You've got to go see Pharaoh. And they clean him up, and because Pharaoh wants, to, and they quickly move him to Pharaoh. And there's no like, "Hello, I'm Pharaoh. Hello, I'm Joseph." It's just Pharaoh saying, "I had this dream, and I heard that you can interpret it, and nobody else in all of Egypt can interpret it. No pressure, Joseph, but nobody else can do this. Maybe you can." And Joseph's answer, the more I think about it, is astonishing to me. Joseph, a foreigner standing before the king of Egypt, the king who thinks that he's a god and thinks that his ancestor or a god or gods from Egypt has sent him this dream that nobody in this entire kingdom, this massive world power has been able to interpret. This is a huge pressure situation and Joseph doesn't buckle. Joseph easily could have said, Pharaoh, I will interpret this this dream for you easy. I interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker, but instead Joseph says, I cannot interpret your dream, but God can. Not your God, Pharaoh, not your ancestor, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and my father Jacob, he will interpret your dream and give you a favorable answer. That sounds nice, but when we understand it in the context of Pharaoh, it's an assault on Pharaoh's religion. Your gods aren't enough, but mine is. Your gods aren't strong enough to interpret your dream, but my God is. He's bigger and he is stronger than even you. I would think this would perplex Pharaoh. Who does this Hebrew prisoner think he is? But what options does Pharaoh have? What if Joseph's correct? The so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. There's seven cows in the Nile, good-looking cows, and there's seven not-good-looking, skinny, sickly cows. They eat the healthy cows, but they don't gain any weight. Scared me to death. I woke up. Then I fell back asleep again, and there were seven stalks of grain on, on one grain, and then seven more ears that looked terrible, withered by this drought wind, and they ate the healthy stalks. It scared me. VeggieTales gone wrong. Uh, why is wheat eating other wheat? They don't show that in veggie Tales. No, that's what I was imagining. Cannibalistic cows and veggie tails are what was keeping Pharaoh up at night. God will use anything to get a hold of someone. So Pharaoh says, I I told this to everybody. Nobody's able to interpret it. Nobody's able to understand this dream. They have no idea what to do. And so Joseph doubles down before uh, Joseph says God will interpret the dream and give it to you favorably. Then Pharaoh tells him the dream and then Joseph says both of your dreams are really just one message and God has revealed to you what he's about to do. He doubles down. The God of Israel, not Pharaoh or his gods is ultimately in charge of these things. God is greater than Pharaoh and Pharaoh, in fact, God has infiltrated your dreams to give you these dreams. So what do the dreams mean? verse 26. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And after doubling of Pharaoh's dreams, means the the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, Pharaoh, "...select, discerning, and wise men, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land to take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. And the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine." pause. So Joseph says both dreams are saying one message seven plump cows, seven full stalks of grain are seven great plentiful years in Egypt and the seven lean cows, the seven empty years are famine that are coming after this and that God gave you a doubling of the dream means that this thing is absolutely certainly going to happen and it's going to happen soon. Twice in this interpretation Joseph tells Pharaoh that God is showing you what he's going to do. Basically, God is going to do this, Pharaoh. You can respond to it, or you can pretend to ignore it, but God is going to do this. And he interprets the dreams faithfully to God. It would probably be easy to look at Pharaoh and say, you're going to have seven great years of harvest. What a relief, right? I would imagine Pharaoh would be pleased with that interpretation. But then he says, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And I don't know how... Pharaoh would respond to that he could have been upset how dare you I'm Pharaoh but Joseph does something that Pharaoh didn't ask him to do did you catch it he doesn't just interpret Pharaoh's dream he applies it He says, so here's what you need to do, understanding what God is going to do, Pharaoh. Right? He interprets the dream. This is what it means, and then he applies it. So this is how you should respond, Pharaoh. You need to appoint a wise man over Egypt and then tax the people. (laughs) One-fifth of everything that is gathered up needs to be put into storehouses during the seven good years of harvest, because in the seven bad years, you're going to need to dip into those storehouses, It's a reserve. Put them in the cities that are around. So how is Pharaoh now going to respond not only to the interpretation, but also to this pagan Hebrew prisoner telling him, like Joseph's family didn't want his advice. But now he's telling Pharaoh, this is what you should do. Here's this advice. So how is Pharaoh going to respond to Joseph telling him, here's what your dream means, and here's what you should do, when he wasn't even told to apply the dream. Verse 37, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his nest neck, and he made him ride his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt moreover Pharaoh said to Joseph I am Pharaoh and without your consent no one shall lift a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paniah and he gave him in marriage Asenath the daughter of Potiphar priest of An and so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh king of Egypt And Joseph went on from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. So so Pharaoh responds positively. The interpretation and then the unasked for application proposal pleased Pharaoh. But like during Joseph's proposal of like, this is what you should do, Pharaoh is racking his brain going, well, what wise man do I have in Egypt that can do this? All of my wise men couldn't even interpret my dream." let alone make a suggestion on how we should implement it. See, what Pharaoh does is it shows us something that's happening we need to keep in mind when we feel discouraged. God works in the hearts of pagan rulers often. The Lord is working on his heart. What is the criteria that Pharaoh sees in Joseph? The Spirit of God is in him. What would Pharaoh care He's a pagan ruler who thinks he's a god, but that he's looking for someone with the spirit of God in him means the Lord is, is working on Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh says, God has shown us there's no one as wise or discerning as you, Joseph. No one was able to interpret the dreams, but you not only interpreted them, you applied them, and the way that you applied them will make Egypt more prosperous, even though you're a slave in this country and not even a citizen. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph, I'll be number one, but you're going to be number two. He was just a prisoner in a pit. And now he is the vice king of Egypt. He is the one in who will be in charge of implementing this plan. And then we're told that Pharaoh does something that, that for us as Christians, we should see this imagery and it should trigger some things that the Apostle Paul says. Pharaoh takes the ring from his finger. Remember, this is his official seal, his stamp that he would put on government documents. And what does he do with the ring? He gives it to Joseph. So now Joseph has the authority of Pharaoh. He puts royal garments on him. He puts a a golden chain on him. He makes Joseph ride second chariot. And then he has people go before Joseph saying, bow the knee to Pharaoh and Joseph. This is part of Joseph's dreams coming true. He dreamed that the wheat would bow down to him, and now we see him in a chariot with these pagans bowing down to Joseph. Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife. Did you catch who she was? Potiphar's daughter talk about an awkward wedding. And he's 30. And he enters the land, uh, enters the service of Pharaoh. And he goes to work immediately. Verse 37. So during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food in these seven years, which had occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began. And Joseph said there was famine in the lands but in the land of Egypt there was bread and when all the land of Egypt was famished the people cried to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians go to Joseph what he says to you do so when the famine had spread over all the land Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians the famine. Was, uh, in the, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt moreover all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph by grain because the famine was severe over all of the earth so Joseph enacts the plan perfectly They stored and they stored and they stored this one-fifth of a tax, which I'm sure would be just be super thrilled, right? This foreigner who was in the prison is now second in command and the first thing he does is install this one-fifth tax on the people. 20% of all things are going to be taxed and we're going to put them in these storehouses because I think in seven years there's going to be a famine that comes. And I imagine they're watching all of this stuff get thrown in the storehouses, thrown in the storehouses. The text tells us they stopped counting because the numbers got too high. The little deals with the beads on it. They ran out of beads. The calculator screen wasn't big enough. There was so much stuff that was... I'm not a math expert, but if you have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, then I would think the tax should be 50% if you want to keep the same lifestyle in seven years. But it was so abundant and so plentiful that one-fifth was enough to make up all of that. And Moses... Under the Holy Spirit, as he's writing Genesis, tells us something like in the middle. It kind of is weird. Like you have these, these good years, and then all of a sudden, boom, thrown in there is like, oh, by the way, Joseph has two kids. But remember, names mean something. This is before the family he has two sons. The first is Manasseh, which means something like to forget. So Joseph's life has been Hardship. He had everything he wanted, but he was the favorite son of his father, and then he lost it, and he was thrown into a pit. And the rest of his life has been taking a few steps to get out of the pit, and then thrown back in the bottom. A few out, thrown back in the bottom, and now finally Joseph feels like he's out of this pit. When he started shepherding for his dad, when he started with well, like tattletelling on his brothers, he was 17. And we're told in the text, when he enters into Pharaoh's service, he's thirty. Which means the year of plenty, Joseph is 30 to 37. So he has spent well over half of his life in this pit. That's a long time. But he never loses sight of the Lord. And so now he names his son in the good times. He names his son, God made me forget the bad times. He names his second son, Ephraim, which means something like making fruitful. He's had a hard life, but everything Joseph was in charge of was uh, grew abundantly because of the Lord. Wherever he was located, whatever he was given, thrives. And Joseph recognizes that that's not him. He isn't that great, but God is great. And then we get the famine. And the famine takes place in all the lands. But in Egypt there's bread. Everybody else is starving except Egypt. So when the people of Egypt need food, they go to Joseph. And Joseph would sell them food, making the kingdom kingdom of Egypt extremely wealthy and powerful. When you have to have a piece of bread, you will pay whatever price they ask. The severe famine was used by God to bring wealth and prosperity to this pagan nation. Remember, Genesis was written by Moses as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness after just being exodus, kicked out, redeemed, saved from Egypt. So to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness that just escaped Egypt, it starts making sense to them why they were captives in the first place that God brought them somehow, some way to protect them from this famine and and to protect them from the dangers of compromise, right? That always seems to be what happens when life is easy and they settle in the land of Canaan. It's where compromise comes in. We've seen it with uh, Noah's Ark. We saw it with the Tower of Babel. We've seen it over and over throughout Genesis. So for those wandering in the wilderness when Moses is writing this, this would feel real because that's what they do over and over again in the Israelites. You can read the Old Testament. It's the same story over and over again where the Israelites do something dumb. They disobey God. They get punished by God. They repent. They turn back to God. And then things are good for a while until they disobey God. It's just a sickle over and over and over again. It happens in the Old Testament. It's a pit. They cannot escape from. It's a problem that they have that they cannot work their way out of. What they need is not some moralistic list of things to do and not do. What they need is not a better set of laws to obey. What they need is to be fundamentally changed in who they are and how they act. What they need is to be reborn with new hearts and new minds and new desires. They need to be rescued from the pit they are in. And they look at Joseph's story. What they think is we need a a new and we need a better Joseph to get us out of this pit. One who doesn't make the same mistakes that we make. One who's able to uh, to be in the pit and then who's able to get out and who can bring others out of this pit with him. Do you notice that the whole world, is what the text says, goes to Joseph for bread? How does God feed the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness? It's manna. It's bread that God sends from heaven so that they would remember that God is the one who provides them food. And what does Jesus call himself? The bread of life. That all who come to him will not be spiritually hungry again. Did you notice that every knee bows to Joseph? and you have these Israelites now wandering through the wilderness trying to establish this kingdom of God and the land of God that God has promised so that they can rule and reign as God's representatives to the nations but we I preached Philippians right before this and Philippians tells us that it's King Jesus who will fully and completely bring this kingdom about and he is the king that every knee will bow to and that every tongue will confess he is the Lord what the Israelites need is they don't need Joseph they need Joseph's God that's who comes to them that's who comes to us But Jesus comes as God in the flesh and much like Joseph he's despised by his own people yet he continually makes the right decisions he never sins he teaches those who follow him how to live different he promises not just a better life than they have but a new life a new heart new motives that please the Lord Everyone is excited and then Jesus dies. It felt like everything that Jesus had promised was buried in the tomb with him. What king can rule while dead? What hope can flourish when it's lying in a tomb? What priest can sacrifice when he has no life? What prophet can proclaim when there is no breath in him? what Savior can save if he can't save himself. Jesus was supposed to be the king who brought about the kingdom that would never end. And he does. But he did it in a way no one expected. He is the eternal king who brings about an eternal kingdom that will never end, that he rules and that he reigns forever. And on top of that, he's the priest who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice himself. That's the, the lamb, and he's no longer needing to sacrifice anymore because Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the prophet who not only proclaimed the word. John 1 tells us he is the word. The idea uh, of what Jesus is going to do for them was too narrow. They wanted a king who would save them from their lives. They didn't realize they needed a king who would save them from themselves. Get them out of the sinful nature pit that they were trapped in. And Jesus comes and says, I will deal with your real problem, whether you recognize it as a real problem or not. Your sin, your rebellion against God is what is continually keeping you enslaved. And so when Jesus rose from the grave three days after he had been buried, he proved that what he said was true and who he was is God. And right now, he is sitting at the throne interceding for us. And right now, he has sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Brothers and sisters, we can read stories like this, and we can say, well, we just got to get our act together and make the right decisions like Joseph, and we miss the point of the text. The point of the text is we don't need to be better. We don't need better laws. We don't need to act right. We don't need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. What we need is Jesus, who takes us out of the pit of sin, even though we have nothing to offer. Joseph at least could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. (laughs) What we bring to the equation is sin that needs to be redeemed. It's sin that needs to be paid for. A wrath that needs to be dealt with. We have nothing to offer God except the neediness that we bring to God. And Jesus atones for those things with grace and mercy. Joseph was given Pharaoh's rings and clothes. He was given Pharaoh's authority to lead the nation. Jesus already had that authority. So when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, when we're dead in the pit, we need so much more than a haircut, a shower, and some new clothes. We need new hearts. We need new minds. We need new desires. And that's what Jesus gives that the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit begins working in believers from the inside out and he changes us by making our lives inside look more and more like Jesus so that flows to the outside as well. So like Joseph, we can look at our past and we can say, I've been through some things but the Lord has never left me in those situations. In fact, he used those situations to grow me more in him. Those pains I get to forget about. Like I remember them, but they pale in comparison to the glory of God. Like Joseph, we can recognize that this is not our home. That we can and we should be as good of citizens of America as we can be. And we should rejoice that wrongs have been righted. Like this week with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But we know that it isn't complete. all the while understanding we should be the best citizens we can be, but there is a deeper reality to life that you and I have if we're believers in Jesus Christ. That we are sojourners. Wanderers. Helping to make the places that God has placed us better all the while knowing that Jesus is our ultimate home. See, under King Jesus, we get so much more than new clothes. We're given a new identity, a new heart, new minds, new motives, new desires, a new purpose. That our life is no longer about building ourselves up or having the things that we want or getting comfortable in our lives. Our lives are about loving the Lord first. That's the great command. And the second is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Loving others by making life as good as we can, all the while pointing to Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Genesis is the story of Joseph pointing us to the better Joseph. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for Genesis 41, a chapter that is just packed, God, with with typology that ties us to you. God, I pray as we heard your word, as we meditate on your word, as we now turn, God, into worshiping you, that your word would stir in our heart, in our minds, uh, emotions and affections for you. God, that for the believers who are here, that we would be encouraged by this. That to know that our life is not about us being the hope for the world, but pointing to you is the hope of the world. And that perfection is something that we cannot attain here. But you're growing us and making us more and more holy every day. God, for any unbelievers who are here that hear the word, I pray, God, that they would understand that what they need, God, is not to be better. What they need is you. That you would stir their hearts for salvation, that they would repent of their sin and turn to you, Jesus. Help us to worship you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we'll sing. Amazing grace.